0: I definitely agree with the slowing down for guys because, let's be honest, a lot of us aren't that flexible to start with. So it might take us a couple more seconds to get into some pose or we might need some type of variation on a pose. I would say probably first and most important thing is go in with an open mind. That'll definitely help. I would definitely start with a basic course, probably more of a low paced vinyasa or a yin class would be good.
1: I'm your host, Derek Vanderwalker, and today's guest is Brian Linton. In 2018, Brian retired from the Army with the rank of Sergeant First Class after nearly 30 years of service. And while his aunt supposedly reintroduced him to yoga way back in the 1980s, he didn't really get into the practice until two years ago when he signed up for a 200-hour teacher training program to give him something to do during the lockdown. What he found during that experience was not only exposure to the many physical modalities of yoga, but also a deeper understanding of the spiritual side as well. After his 200-hour training, he went straight into the Warriors at Ease teacher training program, doing the level one online and then the in-person training for level two. And he was especially inspired by the fact that yoga can be modified for anybody, regardless of physical limitations. So Brian Linton, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us.
0: Derek, it's good to be here.
1: So tell us a bit about yourself and your connection to the military. My connection
0: in the military goes pretty deep, actually. I first enlisted when I was 18. Like a lot of people, I joined for the college benefits. You know, they're pretty decent. And then, you know, it's always been there now between reserve and then active duty. Have done 29 years, six months, and six days, not that I'm counting total time in the Army. So it's always been there. It's something that I kind of loved and hated all at the same time which I think anybody that served would certainly understand.
1: So what year did you leave the military?
0: I retired in 2018.
1: Where along your path did you get connected to yoga and what brought you to the
0: It's kind of hard to say. I always feel like yoga has always kind of been there. For the longest time, it was, more, it was more in the background, I think. took a lot of like donation classes. I never really had like, an ongoing practice until recently.
1: Do you remember a time when it first came on your radar as something to check out?
0: Probably my teenage years. I grew up in a fairly open-minded family that we always tried different things. I had one aunt in particular that is more of, I guess you would call her the hippy-dippy aunt, that she was always into the different new age things that she kind of got me into yoga first.
1: Was she getting you more into the philosophy of it or more just sort of like rolling out the yoga mat and doing a little yoga?
0: Some of each. I know for me personally, I don't like to separate the philosophy and the actual physical practice. I don't know if you can really have one without the other and really call it a yoga practice.
1: So she was already sharing that kind of mindset with you, even from the beginning.
0: Yeah, which this would have been probably like the 80s.
1: And so that got on your radar in sort of along the way over time. Where did you see yoga kind of coming back into your life?
0: Probably really within the past year or so is when it really became really part of my life with the pandemic, you know, everything shut down and, you know, I kind of needed things to keep my mind busy with not being able to go out anywhere, do anything. So I found a online yoga school, the Yoga and Ayurveda Center in East Strasburg, Pennsylvania. And I looked into it first and like anybody, I was kind of skeptical how am I going to learn to be a yoga teacher online? You know, isn't this something I have to go to Bali and, you know, immerse myself or something
1: like that? Climb up a mountain, trek in the wilderness, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. You know, be halfway up Mount Everest somewhere, you know, maybe in Kathmandu, something like that. So I checked it out and it was legitimate. It was recognized by Yoga Alliance and fully certified through them. So I completed the 200-hour the yoga teacher training with them.
1: So it would have been July 2020. So like literally a little over a year and a half ago. And so when you finished that program, how did it change your practice?
0: I, I think for me that further solidified more of the spiritual side of it. That actually going through the teacher program really opened my eyes to different ways of doing yoga. I kind of was exposed to different, I guess you call modalities of yoga. Part of the training was a chair yoga segment. There was something I never thought of before of doing yoga in a chair. It was always something that you rolled out the mat and you did your poses, you know, the different asanas.
1: Before we go any further, for those who've never tried chair yoga or know what chair yoga is, could you just explain a little bit for the listeners on what is chair yoga and who might it benefit?
0: Chair yoga is adapting the traditional poses to doing them in a chair for A lot of times it's done with senior citizens, especially in like a senior citizen's home. They'll do chair yoga a lot because if your legs aren't working as good or not as mobile for some reason, chair yoga is a good way to be able to do some of the poses and get some of not only the physical benefits, but some of the spiritual benefits of the poses.
1: It's a safe way to work with certain poses. Obviously, like you said, if if somebody's got injuries or working through pain. What about the philosophical aspects of yoga really resonate with you?
0: I think for me, it was more of the calming parts of the philosophy that be, you can be calm and rational, but not necessarily weak. A lot of the yoga philosophy talks about different warriors in ancient times that have their stories and they're not necessarily at war, but they're not necessarily at peace, but somehow they always find themselves.
1: Yeah, sort of the Bhagavad Gita, sort of Arjuna's challenge in his path and deciding whether to fight or to not fight. And I think there's something graceful about the idea of knowing that you have a choice in what you do. Was that some of the stuff that you came across in in the reading and the teachings? I did. It
0: was a lot more kind of the, do I need to fight? Do I not need to fight kind of idea? Now, of course, you know, from my experience in the army, you don't always have that luxury. It's sometimes Somebody's telling you, hey, you got to go fight, but then that does also help reconcile that a little better, too.
1: Yeah. So on that note, how do you feel the practice of yoga is relevant for the military and first responder community?
0: I think for me, some of the experiences I had, my last deployment was in 2005 to, to Kuwait. And I didn't see any actual fighting there. There wasn't any actual shooting, but I did see a lot of the aftermath of what happened that we had what was called the boneyard that they would bring a lot of damaged vehicles that you could tell that something very bad happened there that no time was taken to clean up anything. So you could see, you know, whatever blood stains, oh. things like that. So just the exposure to that, I ended up having PTSD from it and I would have very bad, very vivid nightmares from it. And I went through traditional Western-type counseling for it. But I think had I had the more in-depth yoga training before that, I think I would have been better prepared to kind of deal with it, to be able to see it, step back, take a few deep breaths, and maybe better handle what I was seeing.
1: And you say in your yoga practice now, you're able to sort of be in that place where you'd be able to handle that experience a little more softly with a little more context Is that sort of what you see in the benefit of yoga?
0: Yeah, definitely. Especially with the idea of mindfulness to maybe be in the moment and then move on from it.
1: In your military experience, when there's constant stress and exposure, you got to have some ability to maintain some resilience.
0: Yeah, you do. Even on a quote, easy deployment like I had, it was still tough. A lot of times it was seven days a week, 12-hour shifts. And then with that 12-hour shift, that's your time actually on duty. That's not counting if you need to travel to a different location. That's not counting any kind of weapons maintenance, things like that. A lot of times in the military, when you talk about a 12-hour shift, that's really a 14 or 16-hour shift depending on what's going on or what you have to do. And there may be some kind of mandatory training that you have to do in there too. So it's, it can be tough and grueling and you're 6,000 miles away from home. You're surrounded by people that you get along with, but it's not, it's not the same as being with family.
1: Yeah, so there's an aspect about the military life when you're in service and even when you're back of being resilient and working through whatever experience you have. How would you define the word resilience?
0: To me, it's being able to see really bad things happening, but still be able to go on and you know not become a mental and emotional wreck yourself
1: and yoga sort of helped you with cultivating that strength and being able to put things in context and kind of push on,
0: yeah, I'd say it's definitely has improved my resiliency through the pandemic because you know this is really unusual time that we're all going through right now that a lot of times if somebody goes through a traumatic event, it's by themselves. Maybe it's with a small group of people, but really, I would say probably very few human beings on planet earth that haven't been affected in some way in the past couple of years with the pandemic.
1: Yeah. And I think everyone's dealing with it in some aspect one way or another. So speaking of trauma, I know that Warriors at Ease has created a phenomenal program to help individuals work with others, either in a yoga context or outside of yoga. Tell me, when did you do your Warriors at Ease training?
0: I actually started the Warriors of Ease training right after I finished the 200-hour yoga teacher training. When I was looking for a yoga school through Google searches, the Warriors of Ease organization popped up that I'd never heard of them. And I, I looked into it and was like, oh my God, this is a perfect fit for me. When i want to get my yoga teacher training done. So I started that right away. And the Warriors of Ease training is split up into different levels. So I did the level one training was all online. It was watching a lot of videos, taking exams, things like that. And then in June of this year, I took the level two training in person. I know it's cliche to say, but that was really a life changing experience, especially for me completing an online yoga teacher training, I kind of had that imposter syndrome that I think a lot of people get. But for me it was even deeper because you know, took an online yoga teacher training. You know, how much of a yoga teacher am I? And to be in a room with all these other extremely talented yoga teachers and to be able to, to talk yoga on their level and be accepted was just a really affirming experience for me.
1: Was that in Pennsylvania or did you go to another state for that training?
0: That was actually in Silver Spring, Maryland. It was a long weekend. I went down. It was pretty much eight-hour days because I think, yeah, you know, much more than eight hours and it really would have been too exhausting. Of course, with the training, we had homework to do too, that we had to write classes and then we would actually teach part of those classes to each other as part of the training.
1: So after having gone through Warriors at Ease, what should people know about Warriors at Ease and its teachers?
0: Warriors at Ease is just a fantastic organization. One of the co-founders was actually there for a lot of the training I went through, and she was just a wonderful woman. Everybody is just so kind and caring and giving. And I think as part of the training for me, what really opened my eyes was the idea that you can teach yoga to anybody. Whether they're fully able bodied, whether, you know, somebody has an artificial limb. One of the teachers even shared the experience of teaching yoga to a paraplegic. You talk them through what it would be like to do yoga. And in their mind, they're doing yoga. They're they're moving their arms, their legs. You just have to talk them through that.
1: Yeah, no, I think there's a mind body connection that goes So deep in the body experience that even for those that have lost limbs or have chronic injuries, there's still a feeling and sensation that can be tapped into. There was a great book called Waking by a guy named Matthew Sanford. He got into a car accident at 13, became a paraplegic, and then ultimately got into yoga in his early 20s, then became a certified yoga teacher. And now his nonprofit and his mission is all about helping other folks who've lost limbs or had spinal injuries use yoga to find their way back. And I definitely feel like yoga is for anyone. No matter what you have going on, there's a yoga for you to experience.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think a lot of people are put off about the super flexible 20-year-old girls on Instagram that everybody sees that and they think that's what yoga is, which that's not an incorrect statement, but that's just one practice. I think for me, it's it's a matter of finding the yoga that works for you because my personal preference to teach is I like to teach restorative yoga. For anybody who's not familiar, restorative yoga is a very slow paced. You're only going to do a few poses, typically for me, I teach about a forty five to fifty minute session. and within that time, you might only do maybe five to ten at the most poses. Storative is more it's more about being still. it's about getting in getting into the pose. it's about appreciating it. So it's one of those things where if you like that pose, it's just wonderful. If the pose isn't something you like. Well, you might be in for a long five minutes.
1: Yeah. The benefits of restorative yoga are obviously at a deeper, subtle level. But when those days where you're just tired or you're worn out or you're fighting a little bit of a cold bug and you don't really feel like having a big workout, restorative yoga can be an absolute great alternative to any other cardio experience or even your basic vinyasa flow class. So I'm a fan of it. It's one of those things that I don't do it enough. And I think it's something probably I overlook. should try to do it on a more regular basis, but I know lots of people really enjoy restorative yoga and there's a lot you can do with it.
0: I think so because, you know, in addition to my yoga teacher training, I'm actually getting my Pilates teacher certification. Oh, great. So if anybody's familiar with the Pilates world, I think there's even less men in Pilates than there are in yoga, which is too bad because, you know, it has a lot of the same benefits as yoga.
1: Yeah, so how would you describe Pilates and what are the types of things you do in Pilates that are a good complement for somebody who might have a yoga practice?
0: Joseph Pilates actually studied yoga pretty deeply himself and he based a lot of his exercises on yoga. So maybe somebody that's put off by some of the spirituality of yoga might find more of a home in a Pilates studio because there's absolutely no spirituality in a typical Pilates studio. It's just the exercises. And the reformer is great for somebody that might have limited mobility. The reformer is a machine that has different pulleys and ropes on it that assists you with the exercise. A lot of the exercises are done against spring tension versus lifting weights. It's a very super low impact exercise. You'll definitely feel it the next day or the day after even.
1: Yeah. And you can keep increasing the resistance. You definitely can work the core in yoga, no doubt. But Pilates, you really can target the core in a way that uh, and really work that core. I mean, it can be a miracle worker as can yoga, but if you have a weak lower back, Pilates can really teach to really strengthen that lower back and those hips.
0: Definitely. I have a lot of clients that come in the class now and there's a lot of complaint is like a pinched nerve kind of situation that just going through a Pilates or even or a yoga class will really help move the body in a way that, you know, loosen up a lot of what's pinching your nerve. Because I know a lot of us have office type jobs where we're sitting at a computer all day and our natural inclination is going to be to kind of get hunched over and your shoulders come up to your ears and everything gets pinched off in an unnatural way that yoga and Pilates can be tailored to undo a lot of that sitting that we do and, you know, get everything unhunched.
1: Absolutely. And you know, I feel like it's very hand in hand. You know, people who get into yoga ultimately find their way into Pilates as well, whether they're just someone who wants that exercise and then practice, but also a lot of teachers I know who've gotten into yoga and Pilates and meditation and Tai Chi and other things like that.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that both yoga and Pilates are a great cross-training for whatever sport you're doing because for the longest time I was a runner I'm actually wearing my finisher sweatshirt from the New York City Marathon so for the longest time I was one of those people that you know I just okay I run I'm a runner and as you get older your body doesn't tolerate abuse the same way as it did when you're 20 or 30 it's you know I'll let you know that you're on the wrong track that's when I first found Pilates as a a cross-training for running and it worked out good And then through the Pilates, I got into yoga more and appreciate yoga as another form of cross training for sport.
1: I think they definitely go hand in hand. And to your point, these fitness modalities can really help you improve the other things you like to do, whether it's golf or it's running or cycling or tennis or swimming. This stuff can all totally help. So you and I both know that there are not a lot of guys who do yoga and that more men should be into yoga. What do you think is part of the challenge for why there aren't more men doing yoga? I
0: think a lot of guys become hyper-competitive too. In yoga, it's it's not at all competitive other than with yourself. I think that puts a lot of guys off that there is no competition. Same way p- with Pilates, I've had a couple men come in for like like trial classes and they ask about, you know, how much weight is this? You know, we're not lifting, you know, 500 pounds here. We're not, we're not bench pressing 250. We're strengthening and toning and not necessarily putting up a whole bunch of weight.
1: Yeah. And I tell you, there's some really strong guys out there who probably have really weak cores. And there's some guys out there who you probably wouldn't think are that strong, have really strong cores. How do we get more men into doing yoga? And what has been your experience in the men that you've done yoga with or classes that you've led?
0: I think maybe a way to get guys into yoga would be to have a all guys yoga class
1: totally tailored just to guys.
0: Maybe instead of the typical yoga music, maybe we'll put on classic rock or something like that and we'll, you know, get guys introduced to yoga. At first, then we'll start working in more of the tone it down, maybe have the, the softer music, that kind of thing.
1: I do think there's an opportunity to have a guy's yoga class. And I agree that you probably want to have some kind of music that relates to guys and maybe not the heaviest or fastest of rock music or metal, but something that's upbeat enough to get them moving, but not too upbeat. that it's the distraction from what they're trying to do with the series or with the flow or the asanas themselves. And, you know, I think slowing it down is a great thing for guys to do. I've been doing yoga on and off for 20 years, and I still am in classes where I'm slower than the pack because I'm working through some injuries and I'm trying to be mindful the way that I'm moving in and out of certain poses. And the class is a little bit faster than I would need or want. And I think that's just part of the choice you got to make when you're in those classes. But for guys, I think definitely having a slower class with music that they are more comfortable or more familiar being around. I think it's a great way to get guys to feel more comfortable in that space.
0: Yeah, because I definitely agree with the slowing down for guys because, let's be honest, a lot of us aren't that flexible to start with. So it, it might take us a couple more seconds to get into some pose, or we might need some type of variation on a pose.
1: Yeah, I agree. So, so if you had to give advice to guys who are listening who have never done yoga or are going to be heading to their first yoga class, what advice would you give them?
0: I would say probably first and most important thing is go in with an open mind. That'll definitely help. I would definitely start with a basic course, probably more of a slow paced vinyasa or a yin class would be good. Definitely not go in for a hot yoga class.
1: I think all those things are great advice. Well, hey, Brian. This has been great. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts about your practice and your path. And I want to thank you for your service to our country and thank you for your time here today. It's been great talking to you.
0: You're very welcome. Uh, It was great talking to you too.
1: So I really enjoyed that interview with Brian. It wasn't one of our longest conversations, but I enjoyed it and appreciated just as much as all of them. And particularly his comment about what really opened his eyes was the idea that you can teach yoga to anybody. It's so true. Thanks again for your story, Brian, and your many years of service. So our next guest is Warriors at Ease Board Director, Dr. Vincent Arnold. This is our final interview and one I've been very much looking forward to. Dr. Arnold has 28 years of uniformed service with commissions in the Air Force as well as the Navy, and in addition, completed numerous active duty tours with the U.S. Coast Guard, the Marines, and then finally retiring with the U.S. Navy as a Navy chaplain. This is going to be a great conversation for several reasons. But one of them specifically is we talk about spirituality, which is not something we've done on this podcast yet. So thanks again for listening and make sure you subscribe to this podcast and check us out on Instagram at Podcast, where you'll see photos of all these great warriors and every single guest we've had since launching last May. Take care and talk to you next time.